Right, today we're wrapping up our series, The Power of Parenthood, and, and we're going to talk about uh, what we do when our kids do things that we don't like here in a few minutes, but uh, I'll tell you about a couple things that are coming up here in the next couple of weeks that I, that I want you to be paying attention to. Uh, next week, as Bobby mentioned, it's graduate recognition, and so if you haven't gotten your information into Bobby yet, do that like yesterday, um, but we, we need that as soon as possible so that we can, we can celebrate all of our graduates and their accomplishments and their milestones Two weeks from today is Memorial Day weekend, and I know that's like the unofficial start of lake season, or maybe it's the official start, I don't know, but it's, I don't have a boat, so it doesn't make, make much difference to me, but I, I know it's, it's, it's a big time to be out on the water and that kind of stuff, but I want to encourage you to be here and be a part of our, our Memorial Day weekend services. Um, that Sunday, we're going to have a guest speaker, his name is Doug Martin. Uh, we're also going to have a potluck after, after church. Maybe I should have led with that. We're going to have a potluck after church, and then we're going to have a guest speaker. Uh, his name is Doug Martin. He's the uh, director at Kentucky Christian University. He's the director of alumni relationships, uh, which means he's the guy that sends out all the letters asking for money. He's not going to do that next uh, the Sunday he's here, okay? Um, Doug has been a great friend to me. He, he actually was one that kind of got me a start in ministry. He was my high school camp dean, and uh, he's a great storyteller. If you... Uh, if you like to hear good stories told that relate to biblical truths, then you'll want to be here because Doug is the guy to do that. He's a great, he's a great preacher, a great friend, and, and I hope that you'll plan to be here. And then, of course, we'll have a potluck after that. So, so be here for that. Then three weeks from today, June the 4th, um, we're going to start a brand new series of sermons called Asking for a Friend. And uh, we're going to deal with a lot of tough questions that people always ask um, and and. and hopefully get better answers than just yes or no. Um, we're going we're gonna to talk about like things like, do you really need to go to church to go to heaven? Uh, is Jesus really the only way? Does the, can the Bible be trusted? Why do bad things happen to good people? Anybody ever ask those questions? If you have, well, we're going to talk about all of those things in a couple of weeks. So, so I hope that you'll start planning to be here for that. But uh, today, like I said, we're finishing up our series, The Power of Parenthood, and we're going to talk about what happens when our children do things that we wish they wouldn't do. Now, how many of you have a child who has ever done something that you, you said, don't do that, or they, they were getting ready to do something, and you stopped them, and you said, hey, don't do that, don't do that, and then, I mean, you, you were explicitly clear in your instructions, don't do that, and they did it anyway. Like, like a couple of mamas, double hands went straight up. And we're not talking about your husbands, ladies, we're talking about your kids, okay? Yeah. Now, let me ask this question. How many of you have ever thought that your kids were perfect? I'm saying there should not really be many hands go up because most of you just raised your hand about, yeah. Um, I have been, one of the great things about being a minister is you get invited into the lot, into parts of people's lives that a lot of other people don't get invited to. That maybe it's kind of reserved for immediate family. And one of those events is like the birth of a child. And, and it's always grandmas. Grandmas are the worst about this. Um, but, you know, you get to the hospital and this baby's just been born. And I'm just going to tell you Grandmas are always like, oh, he's so perfect, she's so perfect, look how beautiful they are. And, and I'm like, oh, okay. Because um, nobody wants to say, no, that baby's not pretty. But newborn babies, they're not pretty. Now, they get prettier in the next couple of hours. They, they, they get prettier. But newborn babies, they're, I mean, they're not that great looking. And, and you know, I don't want to, like, be offensive about that. But I can tell you. When I was when Noah was born, and and I'm speaking firsthand knowledge here about newborn babies not being pretty. Uh, 
I was 21 years old, I think, yeah, 21 years old, didn't know anything about, you know, raising a child or, or what that whole birthing experience was going to be like, and we're at the hospital, and Christy was in labor for hours. I mean, I think, like, it, two days, it seemed like about three weeks, but, um, but in labor for a long time, and because Noah spent such a long time in the birth canal, when he came out, his head was combed. I mean, like, he had this, he had this full head of red hair, and I'm like, if you, you remember the movie uh, Coneheads that came out in the 90s? Like, that's what his head looked like. It came to a point. And, and the, the doctor hands me this child, and he's like, oh, he's, he's, he's such a perfect little boy. And I'm looking at his head like, no, he's not. <laughs> and the nurse, she could see the nurse, God bless her, she saw like the, the fear in my eyes about this. And she's like, we'll get a little toboggan, a little beanie, and put it on his head, and it'll, it'll round out, and it'll, it'll smooth it out. And I said, okay, all right, like, how long is this going to take? And she's like, just leave it on for a couple of days. And so all the grandmas and great aunts, they're all wanting to come in. Because he's got this full head of red hair. And they all want to like, come in and like, look at the hair. I'm like, nope, don't, don't you move that. that. That hat stays on. That hat stays on. Do not move that. Look, our babies are not perfect. They're not always pretty. But we also need to acknowledge that they are also sinful little beings. And I know that sounds harsh. Um, but... Just like us, they are born with a, a sinful nature. And I want to be clear what I'm saying about this, that they are born, they're not born guilty of sin, okay? You're not guilty of sin till you sin, but they are born with the inclination to sin. If you don't believe me, go into the nursery. Spend about an hour in the nursery. Because what happens with every one-year-old when, when another one-year-old takes, has a toy that they want to play with? What do they do? They go and they take it. They, they steal that toy. We would say stealing is a sinful behavior, wouldn't we? Now, I know that's a broad kind of spectrum to put that on, but that's not, a, that's not a top behavior. We don't teach our kids when they're one, hey, if somebody has a toy that, you're playing, that they're playing with and you want it, you go take it. We don't teach that, right? It's a natural instinct. It's a natural behavior. And so we, we are born with this sinful uh, nature. Romans 3 says this, uh, Paul writes, there is no one righteous, not, not even our perfect little ones. The Bible says, how many have turned away? All have turned away. There's no one who does good, not even one. Not only are our children not perfect, but they're sinful. In all reality, none of us ever look at that little baby and think, you know, that maybe one day that baby's going to grow up to have their whole body pierced and tattoos and all that kind of stuff everywhere, and that's not what makes them sinful, okay? But, but we don't, that's not what we envision for our kids. We, we never think that, hey, we'll just give them some money and they'll just go wild with the cre- credit card and, and rack up crazy amounts of debt and, and, and get in all kinds of financial trouble, and, and they'll just have, look at us with that kind of cocky little look that, hey, I can do what I want because you gave me this, right? We don't, we don't think about that, right? We never think that that's how things are going to turn out. We never think our children are going to become addicted to drugs or, or to alcohol, but yet wilder things have been known to happen, haven't they? I spent many hours wondering and asking myself, especially when the boys were little, I wonder what God has in store for my little boys. I wonder what God's going to do with them. But let me tell you what I, what I never thought. As I sat there holding my, my boys as they were young, I never thought, hey, maybe one day I'll take you to rehab. You don't think, you don't think things like that, do you? you? You never think those kind of things. You never think with your little daughter, hey, hey, maybe one day you'll get pregnant as a teenager out of wedlock. You, you don't have those kind of thoughts. You, you don't think to yourself, hey, maybe this little child will be bulimic or suicidal or rebellious or a drug addict or, or violent or whatever. You just don't think those thoughts. And yet occasionally, and maybe even more than occasionally, the ones that we love end up going in a wrong direction. 
Now, if you're like me, and I think most of us probably are in this sense, is that we, we want to believe that if we really just have good intentions, if we really just try hard, if, if we just try really, really hard, then, then our kids, they have to turn out okay, right? They, they have to, they have to, to be okay if, if we're just really sincere as parents. And yet we see examples all around us in today's culture and even in Scripture where that's just not the case. In fact, you look back at the Old Testament. If you study the Old Testament, there's a guy in there by the name of Samson. If there was anyone who, who had it going on and should have gotten it right, it was Samson. I mean, here's a couple things you may, may not have realized about Samson. He's only one of about a half a dozen people that were born by the touch of God. If that's not an upper hand, I really don't know what is. On top of that, he was one of three divinely announced births. It, it's obvious that God has something special for Samson. Uh, on top of that, he was only one of two people in all of Scripture that, that is recorded that God called him before the day he was born. Before he was born, God had already called him one of two. I mean, he's, he comes from a great family. He's got all sorts of advantages. He's strong as an ox. And yet, this guy who obviously has God all over him, he's got great parents, he effectively broke every single Nazarite vow known. He struggled with lust problems and drinking problems, and he got in trouble with women over and over and over and over and over again. Eventually, because of his sinfulness, he had his head shaved bald, which was a sign of disgrace then, not so much now, but, but, but then. He had his eyes gouged out. He was paraded all around town uh, because of his sinfulness and, and by his action, because of his own actions, where he, where he was just mocking God and mocking his parents. If anyone should have gotten it right, it was Samson, and yet... He didn't. Today I want us to spend the last few minutes talking about the perspective of a parent when, when things don't go the way that we want them to go. When our kids go and live outside of the parameters of, of God's will and our wishes. When they are, when they're prodigals. And some of you might have prodigals in your life right now. Others of you, you will have prodigals. And in those seasons of hurt and loneliness and emptiness and pain and panic, Here's something that I hope will encourage you today, and it's this, is that God understands parental pain. God understands parental pain. There's no one who understands it better, I think, than what it's like to hurt as a parent than God. Isaiah chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, speaking of Israel, of Israel, God's own, the people that he called his own children, he said this. He said, I reared children and I brought them up. And what did they do? The Bible says, what did they do? They rebelled. They rebelled against me, it says. Then he went on to say, the ox knows his master. In other words, even animals know who they belong to, but Israel doesn't. In other words, he's saying they're dumber than an ox. They don't even know who they belong to. Donkeys and ox and cattle, they know who they belong to, but my children, they don't know who they belong to. God understands parental pain. Now think about what God did. If, if anyone who was who is perfect. It, it, it's God, right? It, he's the perfect father, the perfect parent. He took Adam and Eve and he put them in this perfect place in paradise. He said, go be fruitful, multiply, sub, subdue the earth, uh, rule over, just in, enjoy the garden, right? There's only one rule. Don't eat from any tree. Don't eat from this tree. You can eat from any tree that you want, but don't eat from this tree, right? That's the only rule. And I heard something this week that got me thinking about this and, and I thought, you know, that probably was, I can, I can understand why Adam and Eve would struggle with that rule, because that rule didn't make sense. It, it's a tree with all these other trees. It's probably a fruit-bearing tree, and that, that tree is producing fruit that looks 
looks good to eat. If God had said, hey, don't talk to the snake, we'd have said, okay, that makes sense. Snakes are scary, they're poisonous, they'll bite you, they're not supposed to talk to you. Like, we get that. We, check, we can, we can follow that. But he said, don't eat from that tree, the tree of what? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And this is what got me to thinking about this. Did you know that God never intended you to know evil? God never intended for you to know evil. They ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Before, before this, evil had not been introduced into the world. They didn't know evil. And that might not surprise us, but here's the thing that might surprise you. Is that God never intended for you to know good either. God never intended for you to know good. They ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He never intended for us to know good and evil. What he intended was for us to know him and to know his voice and to do what he said. That's what he intended. He gave them a simple rule. Don't eat from that tree. And what happened? They rebelled against it. So what did he do? He disciplined them, right? Correction driven by love. That's what we talked about last week. He said, Adam, you're going to have to work your, your tail off. You're going to have to work all day long. You're going to you're gonna have to, to, to produce food. You're no, no longer going to have everything just pop up and, and given to you. You're going to have to work hard at it. Eve, you know what? You're going to have to submit to him, which was probably more of the punishment than the next thing. But he said, you know what? When you have babies, it's going to hurt really, really bad. And he let them face the consequences of their own sin. In, in the book of Judges, you see Israel face the consequences of their sin. Good, you know, good parenting, again, from Father God. You know, they, they, they would rebel against God, and he would allow other groups to come in and overtake them. And then they'd get right with God, and a judge would come and deliver them. And they went through this cycle, and this cycle, and this cycle. And God said, you know what, that's not working. So in the era of Solomon, he said, well, maybe I'll just bless them. I'll just, I'll just pour out my blessings on them. I'll just bless them and bless them and bless them and bless them. And they'll know that, that all of their blessings are coming from me. And they'll know that I'm a good God. I'm a good father who loves them. And yet, what did they do? They rebelled. They continued to rebel against him. God understands parental pain. And sometimes it just doesn't matter how hard you try. That our kids are going to... They're going to mess up. They're going to go maybe a different path than what we had planned for them. It doesn't matter how hard you try. You always hear that, that preacher's kids are the worst too, right? Uh, and sometimes that might be true. I think they're the worst because they play with the deacon and elder's kids. But uh, I'm a little biased toward that. But, but uh, my mom, when I was in high school, I was a deacon's kid. And my, my mom, when I was in high school, I would be going to hang out with, uh, with one of the preacher's kids in our community who, was, who kind of fit the stereotype. Um, and she would always say as we were walking out the door, guilty by association, guilty by association. And I, and I had a hard time for the longest time figuring out who she was talking about, if I was the guilt or I was the association. Um, but my mom would understand that too because she's a preacher's kid. My maternal grandfather, Bob Jones, was a preacher for many, many years. And so, of course, that means she's a preacher's kid along with, with uh, her two brothers, my uncles. And one of my favorite stories that my grandfather would tell about his time in ministry happened when my uncles were in their adolescent years, maybe 9, 10, 11 years old. And, and he, he would say this. He said he was preaching, at a preaching a funeral at his church, and this particular funeral happened to be during the middle of summer. And so the kids were out of school. My, my grandmother was a nurse, and so she was working. And, and so he had to do something with those three kids for the day. And so the funeral was going to be at the church, and the church was an old three-story brick building that sat right on Main Street. It's kind of on, on the, I don't think there was a courthouse square, but kind of that idea. And, and, you know, the doors of the church, front doors open straight into Main Street. And so my grandpa decides that he's going to take the kids to the funeral with him. They, they, they've got to go somewhere, so they'll just go with him, and they can sit in his study 
during the funeral, that'll be a good spot for them. It's far enough away from, from where everything's happening that if they're a little loud, it, it won't be disruptive. And, and, and honestly, it's a small little room with a bunch of books. How much trouble could they get into? Well, as the funeral ended and the processional took place, the pallbearers began to, to carry the casket outside. And again, it's just it's a beautiful day outside. It's warm. It, it's no clouds in the sky. Just a picturesque day. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, seemingly nowhere, these large raindrops start hitting the ground all around the casket and all around the people that are, that are out there. And not just like one big raindrop, like a bunch of large raindrops. And of course, because it's so pretty outside, everybody looks up. They're looking to see where this rain is coming from. And of course, they see nothing. And then somebody, and I think probably my grandfather, spotted a couple of neon-colored uh, pieces of material laying on the parking lot. And within a, a few seconds, probably a lot quicker than that, he realized what was going on, that my uncles had been in the second story of, the, of this church, and they had dropped water balloons out of the window onto the casket during this funeral procession. Yeah. What do you do when your child acts out? What do you do when your child runs from God's standards and from your standards? We're talking about prodigals. Now, now for those of you that have a prodigal child right now, you, you know the pain right now. Others of you, you may know a, a, a friend who, who's got a prodigal, or maybe you even have a spouse who's a prodigal at this moment, where they're just running away from God. And so what I want us to do in the last couple minutes that we have left, I want us to look at, at, a, at a passage of Scripture where Jesus tells a story about a runaway, about a prodigal, and the unbelievable love of the Father, and how we can reach out to those who are prodigals. If you know the story, it's in Luke chapter 15. It's the story of the prodigal son. And I'll tell you, this story... Outside of, of the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus, I think this is the most emotional story in all of Scripture. Um, and, and I'll explain why here in a few minutes. But it starts out in verse 11. Um, it says this, Jesus says, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. And so the father divided his property between the two sons. Verse 13 says, Not long after that, the younger son got together that all that he had, and he set off for what? What did he set off for? A distant country. That's what prodigals do. They, they, they set off for a distant country. Maybe, maybe you have a prodigal in your life who set off for a distant spiritual country. They, they say, you know what, all this Jesus stuff, all this Christianity stuff, I don't buy it anymore. I, I, I'm not going I'm, I'm to believe it anymore. I'm just going to go off and I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to explore. I'm, I'm going I'm to find myself. That's the popular phrase now. Right? I'm just going to find myself. Just because you say it's true, mom and dad, doesn't mean I believe it anymore. They, they're often a distant spiritual country. Oftentimes, it's a distant moral country. Okay, mom and dad, you've got these rules, and I don't like them. And I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to do what I want to do, when I want to do it, and how I want to do it. And I don't really care what you say. And so they set off for a distant moral country to do their own thing. And that's what this son did. Now, now if you're taking notes, whenever you see a prodigal, almost every time you will see three common characteristics or common ingredients of, of, of a runaway. And the first one is this, is that prodigals generally become increasingly self-centered. Prodigals become increasingly self-centered. They, they say, this is what I want to do. I don't care about you. Forget you. Forget what you think. Forget about your feelings. Forget about anything that you have done for me. I, I don't care how this hurts you. Forget about all of that. This is what I'm going to do, and I'm going to do it my way, and there's nothing you can do about it. It's all about me, right? That's, that's the, the first characteristic. The second characteristic is this, is the prodigals think that they know all the answers. 
And that's a really tough season on parents who have a lot of life experience, and then some 15-year-old comes in and basically says, Mom and Dad, you don't know squat. Right? Anybody ever have that experience with your teenager? Uh, better question. Anybody else's parents get incredibly smarter as you got older, maybe after you got married and had kids? Anybody else's parents? Yeah, I was amazed at how much smarter my dad got after I had kids. I was like, did he take a class? I don't know, but he, he got so much smarter, like overnight. And, and so... Prodigals, typically, they think they know all the answers. A third very common ingredient or characteristic is this, is that prodigals demand instant gratification. Give me my share of the estate and give it to me now. That's what he said, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out on my, on, my, on my own and do my thing now. I want to party now. I want what I want now. I, I like the story of a, of a son who turned 16, and he, he was wanting his dad to buy him a car, but this 16-year-old had incredibly long hair, and his dad just hated that. And so... The, the son came up to the dad and he said, hey, dad, buy me a car. And his, his dad said, son, until you cut your hair, we're not even going to talk about a car. And he said, the son said, well, well, dad, in the Bible, Jesus had long hair. I'm just trying to be more like Jesus. And the dad said, yeah, but son, Jesus walked everywhere he went. I like that. Prodigals, it's, it's all about them. They become increasingly self-centered. They think they know all the answers. They demand instant gratification. But if you look at, at Luke 15, verses 13 through 16, and we're not going to read all of it this morning, but this is the prodigal's downward spiral. It describes the, 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 the downward uh, struggle that they, that they go on. And let me just say, when a, when a prodigal leaves the, the protective perimeters of God, this is what happens. They will eventually go down. They, they will always go down, and it may not be immediate, but they will eventually get there. And, and some of you who, who might be prodigals right now, let me just say, I know sin is admittedly fun for a little while, right? No doubt about it, but don't kid yourself. Not because either today or maybe tomorrow or maybe next week or next month or maybe next year if you're lucky or maybe if you're really lucky in two years, that sin will eventually find you out. It will catch up with you. Here's the thing that about sin is that it always takes you farther than you intended to go and it will always cost you more than you were willing to pay. It always does that. And so that's what happens with this young man as he's left the, the confines of his, of his family. And he's gone out and he's squandered everything that his dad has given him. And he's just lived a life full of, of immoral living. And finally, he comes to his senses. He finally hits rock bottom. And at this point, his life is royally screwed up and he's hurting. And, and when this happens in our lives, and it does, and I could tell you stories and stories and stories about these kinds of situations, but I don't need to because you could probably tell me your own stories about these that, that you know. And this prodigal, he's, he's hurting. But let me tell you who's hurting even more. His parents are hurting even more. Watching him go through this. And, and, and I mean, that's a tough thing to watch. When, when you see your kids out there doing something and you know they're heading down the wrong direction and there's nothing you can do to, to thwart them off that path, that's a painful experience for parents. You know, I'm sure that news you know, didn't travel maybe as quickly as it, do, as it does today in, in the days of Jesus. You know, there wasn't Instagram and social media and all those things. Jesus wasn't tweeting anything. And so, so this dad, he, he doesn't know exactly what's going on, but I'm sure news travels, right? And stories are being told, and so the stories are getting back to this dad. And he's hearing all about this life that his son is living, and that's a painful thing for him to hear. But you know who hurts even more than parents? His heavenly father. 
his heavenly father hurts even more than his parents hurt. And, and let me tell you what happens, what my experience has been when, when I'm involved in these kind of situations. What happens is when, when, a, when a child has gone off and they're doing their own thing and they're, they're living this life of immoral living and, and, and mom and dad, they, they typically, they start questioning everything. Where did we go wrong? What, what did we do wrong? God, where did we mess up? What should we have done differently? Maybe we should have spanked him more. Maybe we spanked him too much. Maybe we were too hard on him. Maybe we gave him too much. Maybe we, we should have done this. We should have, we should have made him be more responsible. We should have made him be more disciplined. We shouldn't have uh, uh, made him get a job so early. Or and we shouldn't let him go off on that spring break trip with, with all those people. That's when, when everything started. We, we shouldn't have gotten him a little cat when they, were, when they were only a kid. That's where it all started. That stupid cat, right? That's... Parents, those of you with a prodigal, let me just tell you right now. It's not all your fault, okay? It's not all your fault. Could you have done things better? Sure. But we could all do things better. We all could do things better. But, but just like we can't take all the credit when they turn out good, we can't take all the blame when they struggle. God is the, ultimately the one who helps them turn out to be great, great people. And God is ultimately the one that can bring them out of the trouble that they're in. So parents, listen to me on this. Don't beat yourself up until there's no more faith left in you. Because it's not all your fault. If, if you've got a prodigal, a son or a daughter or a friend or a family member, you want to know how to reach them, right? What do you do? Well, let me tell you a couple things. I think there's three biblical thoughts that we can do to help reach prodigals. And the first one is, is this. Number one is... Every single time we start with unwavering prayer. Unwavering prayer. I like what Paul uh, expressed in Colossians chapter 1 to the church in Colossae, which was actually doing really well. But Paul said this to them, and I like to apply it to an even broader context. He said, we have not stopped doing what? We've not stopped praying for you. And, and asking God to do what? To, to fill you. And, and we pray this, why? In order that you might live a life worthy of the Lord, and you might do What? You might please Him in every single way. What do we do? We do not stop praying. Why? So that their life might be in submission to the Lord Jesus Christ. And they might please Him in every single way. What do we often hear sometimes when there's a, someone's got a prodigal? We hear things like, well, we've done everything we know to do. I mean, we tried counseling. We, we tried an intervention. We tried this. We tried that. We, we ground. We take the car keys away. We, we tried grabbing them on the floor and throwing them on the floor. We, we've tried everything we know to do. The only thing left we can do now is just pray. Right? You kind of think to yourself, think about that. How insulting is that to God? Now, all we can do is hope that God can do something, but we don't think He, he can. All we can do is hope that God will do something, but He probably can't do this. It's like we treat... We treat prayer as our last option, our, our last ditch effort. We, we've exhausted every other option, and so now we should pray. And I think we get that backwards. Prayer is not our last retreat. It's not our last option. It is our first line of attack. Prayer is our first line of attack. And I'm not talking about some kind of little, little safe little Sunday school polite prayer that, that we might pray, you know, where, where God, thank you for the sunshine and thank you for the rainbows and everything's rosy and all that. I'm not talking about that kind of prayer. I'm talking about, you know, just a... On your knees, crying out, face down, you know, God, I, I know you can, and I, God, I don't think it's possible, but I know you can, and I need you to do whatever it takes. I need you to go get him. I need you to go get her. God, you do whatever you have to do, and I will believe that you can do it. I'm talking about that kind of prayer. I like the prayer that, that one pastor used to pray. He said, God, sick the hound of heaven on them and grab them up by the britches and pull them home. However you get it, you, you get aggressive. Well, what do you pray? Well, if you've got a prodigal, you pray this. You pray that they'll have the right friends at the right time. 
that they, that they'll that the the wrong friends will be taken out. And I don't have any qualms about telling you that I pray this for my kids all the time. I think my kids are pretty good kids, but I pray all the time for my kids to have the right people around them that they won't hang out with the wrong friends. Um, and, and I'll be honest about it. My prayer is not always a, a nice, polite prayer like you think a preacher ought to pray about that. Like, God, just help them hang out with the right people. No, it's like, God, if they're hanging out with the wrong people, get rid of them. Like, however you got to do it. I, I don't really care um, because their kids are not my concern. My kids are my concern. And so, God, however you got to get rid of those people in their life, get rid of them. If, if they need to go move away, then let them move. If they, need, if they need to go to jail, let them go to jail. If they need to do something else, let them go. But, God, get rid of them. Get, get those people out of my kid's life. I'm just telling you, that's okay. It's okay to pray that. I know it doesn't sound kosher, right? But it's okay to pray that. You say, God... Let them be surrounded with godly people. Pray that they get caught when they're guilty. Pray that they get caught when they're guilty. I think my mom might have prayed that daily for me for a little while. Uh, but, but you pray that, hey, that, that their sin won't go unnoticed and that it won't go unpunished. And that's a tough thing to, to pray for your kids, isn't it? That, that, they'll get, that they'll get caught when they're guilty. And pray, if you're, if you're bold, if you, if you really mean business, pray, God, do whatever it takes. God, do whatever it takes, and, and I'm just telling you, that's going to be one of the scariest prayers you ever pray. God, if they have to hit rock bottom, then, then let them hit rock bottom. Let them do whatever it takes. You start with unwavering prayer. Number two is as you live with unending patience. Unwavering prayer and unending patience. Galatians 6, 9, Paul says this. He says, let us not become weary in doing what? In doing good. Don't get weary, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we what? If we don't give up the prodigal's father when his son came home and i i told you this is one i think the most emotional story in the bible this is the most emotional part of it i think at, at verse 20 uh, luke 15 20 it says this but while the father was still while the son was still a long way off the father did what he saw him that's that's powerful i don't know that that when we read that we capture how powerful that is but but you understand what that means. It, it indicates that the father, he had never given up on his son. That he's on the edge of his property. That he's walking around the house every day going, that maybe today is the day. Maybe the day is the day that he comes walking down that road. Maybe today's the day that he comes to his senses and he figures out, hey, I need to get things right. I need to turn my life around. Maybe today is the day that he comes walking back home. And so the father saw him. He was looking. He never quit looking for his son. He, he stood there patiently waiting for his son he never gave up father didn't write off his son and say well this ain't no son of mine you can't live like that and be be one of my kids the parents never wrote them out of the will the parents loved them enough to let him hit rock bottom i'm telling you that's hard to do and some of you you might be internally freaking out a little bit right now what am i going to do my kids are just too far gone well here's what you do you don't give up you don't give up. You pray, and you pray, and you pray, and you pray, and you wait, and you wait, and you wait, and you wait, and you pray, and you wait, and you pray, and you wait. And if that day comes, whenever that day comes, if it comes, you do number three. You live with unconditional love. This is one of the most emotional stories in all of Scripture. Verse 20, again, the Father saw him, and he was filled with what? With compassion. He was filled with compassion and he ran out to his son and he, he throws his arms around him. He hugs him. He, he grabs him. He's, he's hugging him and he's kissing him. and he's, he, he's just like, I can't believe it. You're home. You, you, you're back. You, you, were, you were gone, but now you're here. And, and the son, he didn't deserve any of that, did he? The son had squandered everything. Everything that his father had worked his entire life for, the son had squandered in his time away. And yet, when the father saw his son come home, 
he runs out to him, and he just, he just, he loves him. He goes crazy. He says, hey, you know, find Bessie, find the, the fatted cow, kill her, because we're eating steaks tonight. Get, get the best robe and, and put that on him and, and cover up his, his, his dirty clothes so that all I can see is, is cleanliness on the outside. Go, go find my biggest ring and put it on, on his finger because my son who was blind is now seized. My son who was lost is now found. My son who was dead is now alive. And the father just goes crazy. That, that's, that's unconditional love. And I don't know, you all probably know this, you're smart people. But this is a parable, right? This isn't an actual story of something that happened, although it could be. I mean, it's not that far-fetched. But this is a parable. This is a story that Jesus was telling. And, and in these parables that Jesus would tell, there's always a point, there's always a lesson to be learned. There's always a moral to the story. And the moral behind this story is that God is the Heavenly Father and we are the runaways we are the one in our own hearts that have run away and sinned, that we've done, our, done things our own way. We are the self-centered ones. We are the ones who think we know it all. We are the ones who, who seek out that instant gratification. And God is the one who, that, that simply waits. He waits for us to turn around and to come home. He waits for us to turn around and run toward Him. And when we take that moment, this, that step to turn toward Him, He runs toward us. I want you to know this today, that there are those of you who might be away from the Lord. And I want you to hear right now real clearly what, what, what the Scripture says. Isaiah chapter 30, verse 18, it says, But the Lord still waits for you. Right now, at this very moment, He is waiting for you. If you have a prodigal in your life, right now, at this very moment, He is waiting for them. He is waiting for you to come to Him so that He can show you His love and His compassion. For the Lord, our God, is faithful. Guess what? His arms are open wide. And He's just waiting for you to come home. Let me pray for us.